I, um, I'm not concerned these days at all about any of you catching this virus. I don't, I don't have a dread of that. I don't, I'm not, I'm not the, in the least bit concerned about that. Uh, what I am concerned about is uh, there's a lot of people in our church who are small business owners, uh, self-employed, a lot of people in our church who uh, their jobs are on pause. And I'm just concerned about their hope. I'm concerned about uh, how they look at this financially, especially down the road. You know, this is a major disruption for our lives. Uh, Myron had taken a number of us through Dave Ramsey's um, uh, financial peace program. And some, some people have, you know, really eliminated, uh, eliminated their debt and, and also had created a buffer. They're probably... Um, uh, doing fine with that, um, but even that's not enough. I don't think that's going to keep your keep your hope from vacillating, bobbing around on the ocean, or drifting. And so I think we need an anchor for our souls. And in Hebrews chapter six, verse nineteen, it says that hope is an anchor. If you think about that, you, most of us are out on the water, just something that holds our hope steady, and. Uh, I think what we need to do is we need to create some anchors in our life through God's word, uh, through the promises that are in the scripture. And I just thought this morning we'd review a handful of promises. If you can write these out, if you can track with me, uh, write these out, uh, put them on the dash of your truck, put them on your refrigerator, tape them to the inside of your shower, put them in your shirt pocket, take them with you, and and. Look at them rather than CNN, rather than the news. Look at these promises and watch and see what happens to your hope level. I don't think it'll be blown around uh, by everything we hear on the news. And so um, if you want to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, <clears throat> the background of this story is the same as what I shared last week from the story of James. There was a, a prophet named Agabus in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, who prophesied that there was going to be a worldwide famine. And this was a word to the church. This was to get the church prepared, get them um, uh, knowing that something was happening. I don't think the world, I don't think the secular world got the memo. I don't think they were prepared for it. But God wanted the church to be prepared, be prepared for it. So Agabus prophesied this was going to happen. And a short time later, it did. And, and one of the places that was hit hard was Rome. And another place that was hit hard was, was Jerusalem. And um, the church, there's this massive citywide church in Jerusalem. James was the pastor of it. And it was hit very hard. And so um, Paul got a burden for it. And he went around among the Gentile churches and he said, you know, we owe something to the church of Jerusalem. Our faith, our, our handling of the word, what we have for life really came out of the church of Jerusalem. That's the genesis of the whole thing. We need to look back on those who, who helped us get where we are and show appreciation for them. I think that's a good word anytime. But in this context, it moved the people and they said, you're right. And um, uh, they were suffering themselves because they were under the same famine, but uh, they decided to give. And it shows that there's no real good time to give. You just do it. Look at with me to, um, in verse 1. It says, uh, uh, Brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And that's uh, up in northern Greece. He's writing to churches in southern Greece. 
The main church in northern Greece and Macedonia was Philippi. There were others like Berea and Thessalonica. And uh, that just reminds me, uh, uh, Savas is in Greece, and he's up in that Macedonian area, and we love him. He's a dear part of us. I hope he's listening to this. But uh, <clears throat> great grace was poured out on these churches, and the word of that grace spread. Paul's saying, you must have heard of it. He said, uh, verse 2, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So here they were. They were in deep poverty. So there's levels of poverty. I don't know anyone in our, our church or our, our area that's in deep poverty, but they were. Yet they still had joy, which shows that our joy can't be attached to our circumstance. Uh, someone once said, I wouldn't trade my joy for all the happiness in the world. It's a, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. He said um, they had a, a trial of affliction. They were being persecuted. The government was uh, opposed to them, so they couldn't gather uh, the way they wanted to gather. They couldn't do what they wanted to do publicly. And uh, anyway, it didn't stop the riches of their liberality or their generosity. He said, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we'd receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. So they actually begged Paul. They can picture them getting a hold of him and saying, can we, can we, can we give? We want to give. Now, uh, these are people who are struggling. They're in affliction. They're in deep poverty. Yet they're begging Paul to... to be, receive the gift that uh, they wanted to give down to Jerusalem. I, I, I have to stop here and ask, you know, what would make them implore uh, Paul to get in on this? Well, we'll learn later that he taught the concept of giving and receiving. <clears throat> and it wasn't a, an original concept with him. Jesus taught giving and receiving. He said, if you give, it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Paul took that concept, and he shared it everywhere he went. And he wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, and he said, I share this in all the churches. So it was a, a message that Paul took around, uh, not to get money, but to help them get to another place financially, and, and especially during trying times. And he said that these people really gave themselves to the Lord they bought the message, they believed it, they acted on it, and uh, there's some promises that he gave them. Now he's writing to the Corinthians and reminding them of what happened up in northern Greece. He said, you need to do this too. You need to catch the grace of giving. He said, you've been, you've been given grace in everything. You prophesy, uh, you have uh, revelation, uh, you have uh, the grace of faith, you have uh, all, this, all this grace, but you need to add this grace to those other graces, the grace of giving. Then in verse 8, he says, I'm not speaking to put pressure on you. This isn't out of some kind of commandment. I'm just testing the sincerity of your love. And then he gives an example in verses 9, uh, verse 9, about Jesus. He's the example of our giving. Um, the reason we give the way we give is because of Jesus. And let me just stop here. The reason I'm talking about giving isn't to get anything from you during this time. Uh, my motive is that uh, I've never seen uh, uh, people giving like I've seen in the past couple years here in this church. 
um, businessmen giving, uh, entrepreneurs giving, uh, people giving their time and energy. We've bought three buildings in the past two years, and, and two of them have required an extensive amount of, of, of rehab and uh, reconstruction and new chairs, new equipment. And all that came out of a, a flush of giving that was so abundant, was so staggering that <clears throat> I couldn't even keep up with it. I couldn't keep track of all the giving. I just kept hearing, this, is, this needs been met. Someone came and they took time off work and they came in and they wired the place or hung the lights or cleaned uh, or, or took out flooring and uh, grunt work, dirty jobs, all kinds of giving. And, and my motive for this message this morning is, I believe, I believe you've already been sowing. I believe you've already been giving. And you need to know that there is a, a, a withdrawing from an account that God has created for you. And I think it's in this season. I, think, I don't think you should be projecting on the future that this is going to be the worst year for your business or the worst year for you financially. If you've been giving uh, your time, your energy, um, all the mission trips that we've been doing, man, there's just been a steady stream of mission trips um, we've been giving us small groups and our care groups, looking after each other, buying flowers for those who uh, have been having babies and taking in meals. Well, that's, that's tremendous giving. I think there's been so much giving that you should be aware that there's promises for you to cash in on, promises for you to take to the bank, promises for you to stand on in this season so that your hope doesn't drift away so that your hope doesn't take a nosedive. Let's look at some of these promises that Paul laid out. First of all, Jesus said, Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given to you. Press down, shaken together and running over an abundance of giving and it re, re, uh, ends up getting an abundance of receiving. Let's look at this. Look, let's look at uh, chapter 9, the next chapter. Verse 6. He said, but I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You who've been giving, you know who you are. You've, you've just made that a, a lifestyle, a priority. You should know that you can reap bountifully. You can reap bountifully in this season. Set your hope on this. Set your faith into this. Believe God and say, Lord, I, I, I expect a return on my giving. My motives were pure. I was a cheerful giver. I wasn't doing it out of a, a grudgingly. I was doing it from a pure heart of love. Verse 7. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I think you can stand on that promise. I think I, I, I can name names of people who have been just uh, right there giving consistently, I think this is a promise you can stand on and say, Lord, I thank you that I'll have all sufficiency in all things, that I can continue doing what I've been doing. I can do the good works that I've been wanting to do. Verse 9, I think, is a promise. Uh, Paul's quoting scripture, an Old Testament scripture. He talks about those who dispersed abroad and have given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Uh, there is a sense of righteousness or uh, being right with God that comes when we give out of a pure heart. 
That righteousness creates boldness. That righteousness creates an audacity. It gives you a confidence to turn your face toward God and say, Lord, I need help. I, I, I don't want my business to go under. I don't want to uh, be behind in my bills. I don't want to be behind in my mortgage, uh, uh, whatever it is. And there's a, a boldness that comes from this kind of righteousness. Verse 10 is a powerful promise. Uh, our whole mission work for years was based on this this promise here. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. I think God will actually give you the initial seed to sow. We just do that. We just give. None of us uh, had the means to give. He even gave us that. But then once we give that away and we have this attitude that we're not hoarders, we're not living to get, we're not, we're not the ones with our hands out constantly receiving, whether it's from the government or looking to the church or looking to other people, but we believe God that he will actually supply our base. He'll provide food. He'll provide our base. And he'll also provide seed. And then he'll multiply the seeds that's sown and that affects our righteousness then in verse 11 says that you'll be enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. And that's the bottom line. We, we, uh, uh, we are grateful people. We have seen such grace. Maybe you've heard about the grace that's been poured out upon us. Tremendous grace has been poured out upon our church. And there's been a, a tremendous release of giving, unlike anything I've ever seen before. Just nonstop giving, compassionate for the poor. Every outreach, we give to the college, the local college here. There's just been constant giving. Everyone I know who's got uh, some small business or something that they've been doing, largely they've been doing that so they can do mission trips. They can, do, they can help people. They can give to the poor. It's just a profound level of giving. Well, uh, out of that comes... comes uh, Grace, and, and grace begets grace. When there's an outpouring of grace, it just makes us want to keep giving. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 4. And this is the church at Macedonia that, that Paul's writing about. And um, uh, Paul's also struggling. Here he is, you know, during this economic famine, economic crisis, worldwide economic crisis, he gets picked up by the government and is thrown in jail. And he's in prison, not for having done anything wrong, but for preaching the gospel. And when you're in prison in these days, you have to supply your own food. And uh, you have to supply your own uh, even rent in some places. So Paul's in uh, house arrest. He's in Rome. And the church at Philippi, Macedonia, they heard about what was happening to him. And they sent money for him, and they sent food, they sent clothing, they sent different supplies for Paul. And he's writing to them to thank them. And he says, you know, I rejoice, uh, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, uh, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Uh, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
What a profound word that is. He's saying, thanks for giving to me, but, but you have to know something about me. Uh, I've learned. I, I've, I've, I've learned how to just, just, it doesn't matter what my circumstance is. It doesn't matter what my finances are like. I've tapped into this, this contentment. Yeah, contentment, the best definition of contentment I've ever come across is self-imposed satisfaction, where Paul actually decided to be satisfied. He decided not to give in to fear. He decided not to give in to the pressures uh, that would normally come onto his soul. And he tapped into this deep gratitude of just deciding that he's going to be satisfied, whether he's hungry or whether he has an abundance. Uh, no matter what state he was in, that he was going to be happy. He was going to be satisfied. He was going to be joy-filled. What a powerful place to come to. I feel sorry for the hoarders. I feel sorry for the people who take this opportunity to try to, try to get everything they can for themselves. There's something, something liberating when you're going through a trial and you're, you're on the giving end of it and you just choose to give. Uh, these Philippians decided to do that. Paul said, I'm, I'm not interested in just getting. I'm not living to get. He said, verse 14, but nevertheless, you've done well to share in my distress. And that's a key word. There is a stress, uh, that a pressure that happens to all of us, no matter how godly you are. There is a pressure. Paul was under pressure. But he, at the same time, he was fortified with this self, um, self-imposed contentment. I think we can fortify our hearts even though there's pressure. I think you'd be a fool to say there is no pressure. I think you'd be wrong. I think, uh, I think you'd be kidding yourself. There is a pressure, but he's not giving into it. He's not imploding. He's not uh, being moved by this pressure. Now, verse 15 is key. He says, now you Philippians know... Also, that in the beginning of the gospel, they were the first people in Europe to receive the gospel. Paul had this Macedonian call, this vision, and he went across into Europe. And the first place he came to is Philippi, had a prayer meeting down by a river. A woman opened her heart to the gospel. A church was born in her home. And and that was the beginning of, of the gospel coming to Macedonia. Uh, Macedonia is the region that Alexander the Great came out of. Those of us who've gone through the book of Daniel realize that that was a significant thing. Uh, had been a very wealthy area, very wealthy kingdom, and now uh, it's an economic crisis. And he says something about the church at, at Philippi. He says, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now let's stop here and think about that. Everywhere Paul goes, he teaches the principle of giving and receiving, how grace begets grace, how we need to take the first step. We are giving, and that releases God now where he's able to give back to us because we took that first step of faith. Give, and it shall be given to you. He taught that. He taught that to a poor group of people. Uh, You stop and think about that. Why would you go to the poor and teach them about giving and receiving uh, except his motives were pure. He wasn't teaching this to get. He, w- he didn't have carnal motives where he was trying to become rich himself. He was trying to get them to move into the promises of God so God could change their local economy, so he could change the, the economy of their homes, the economy of their church. It came out of a pure heart. 
And he says, I, I taught, everywhere I went, I taught the concept of giving and receiving or sowing and reaping. He said, no one bought into it except you. You're the only church that actually said, we believe this. We believe this is true. We believe this is God's word. We believe this is God's way. Let's do it. And they actually followed Paul as a missionary. He went down to Thessalonica, the next town, and uh, he's working there. And they actually followed him with the fruit of their giving and, and, and supported him in his ministry, even though they weren't going to directly benefit from his preaching. Someone else was going to benefit from it, and they got in on it. I, th I think he marveled at that. He wasn't, um, I think he was actually blown away by the, these people buying the message, acting on it. Uh, good intentions don't work. Good intentions are not enough. Paul's writing to the Corinthians saying, you had this, this desire to give. You better follow through with it because... You know, uh, having good intentions to take a meal to some, someone who's just had a baby is not enough. You have to, have to take in the meal. And um, uh, these people actually were taking in the meal. It's just a powerful, powerful thing, even though they were impoverished themselves. Verse 6, 16, he says, you gave to my, uh, to my needs, uh, my necessities uh, again and again. Verse 17 says, not that I seek a gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. Paul believes somehow that there's a ledger that all of your giving is, is kept. There's a record of your giving. It's, it's an account that's, that's set up for you, almost like a bank account that's in heaven. And everything that you gave out of love, everything you gave because you love Jesus, everything you gave because you wanted to be like Jesus, everything you gave that was a pure expression of grace. There's a record of that in heaven. He said, that's what I'm after. I just want your account to be full. I want your account to have lots in it so that when you're in need somewhere down the way, you can draw from that account. That's a powerful, powerful concept. Do you realize there's an account in heaven for you? I don't know what's in it. I don't know if there's lots in it, an abundance in it, or little in it. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just know that I have an account that I draw from all the time. Uh, my, my account, my bank account sometimes looks pretty low, but this, this uh, spiritual account has never run out. I travel all over the world. Uh, I came to this place 11 years ago with nothing, no job, no people, no church, nothing. And, and if you looked at my life, it's just super abundant. Everything about it is abundant. God's provided a, a house for us. He's provided everything, everything that we need because we're givers who just constantly give. My wife's a tremendous giver. I, I love to give. I'm addicted to it. And I have this account. One time I was down in New York City. I talked to a group of uh, college students to give up their uh, winter break which would normally be going to a beach somewhere down south. And I said, why don't you go and work with the homeless on the streets of New York City? And they took me up on it. They actually went down. So part where during the month that they were down there, I, I went down to check on them. And here they were uh, slodging down the street in slush up to their ankles and their sneakers. And the, they had this glow on their face. They, they loved what they were doing. They were over the, over the moon with what God was doing through them. We met, uh, had a little huddle upstairs in the, in the, 
in Pastor Ron's uh, church. We all sat around. They're talking over top of each other, very excited about what God had been doing all that time that they're down there. And they said, what else can we do? Where else can we go? Can we go overseas? And I said, yes, you can, you can begin to plan on going overseas uh, on your next break. And then one of them kind of looked at me and says, Pastor Penn, we know that you travel all over the place. Uh, where do you get the money to do that? And I said, well, my father's incredibly wealthy. And what I do is I go in and I share the need with him, what's in my heart. And uh, he cuts me a check for it every time. And they looked at each other, and, they, and one of them spoke up on behalf of the rest and said, uh, could you ask him to cut us a check? Can you ask, us, ask him to give to us? I said, you know, I'd be glad to do that, but you can also ask him yourself. And it was at that moment they realized I wasn't talking about my earthly dad. I was talking about my Father in heaven. My Father in heaven loves to give. He is the first giver. He's the most amazing giver. And I've just tapped into his heart. I've tapped into something that has changed my life. And I wanted them to experience what it is to live to give rather than live to get. I have an account. You have an account. I don't know what's in it. Only you can decide what's in that account. Even God doesn't decide what's in that account. You do. And you have been giving. I just know, I just know the people at the well in, in Ohio are givers. The people in Little Church in Belleville, Ontario, the uh, wellspring up there, they are givers. They are, they've already looked for ways that they can give. Uh, that church ties. Our church here ties. Uh, the church down in Baltimore, they just give. They, they give at a, such a level to the poorest of the poor. Um, I think that all goes into an account. I think th these are the days and the days coming are the days that we can draw from that account. You shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't be fretting. You shouldn't be looking to the government for a handout, although I've already tithed on that money by faith. I've already given that money away. Um, I'm not looking to that. I'm looking to the Lord. Look at this. He says, um, he says there's money in your account. He says, um, uh, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. I've received from Ephroditus the things that... Uh, you sent a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice while pleasing the God. Then he says this, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Stop and think about that promise. My God shall supply all your need. Not according to the economy of the United States or Canada. Not according to the World Bank. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. If there's a heavenly economy that we can tap into. It comes out of pure giving, which has been happening at such a rate, it's astounding. But there's a time where we draw from that. There's a time when we draw from that account. My God, my God shall supply. This promise, by the way, can only be found in Philippians chapter 4. You won't find it written to any other church because they were the church that were impoverished, they were struggling, they were persecuted, who got in on, they bought this principle of giving and, and receiving, of sowing and reaping. They bought it and acted on it. Therefore, this promise is true. This promise is given to them because they, they believed it. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me just share two more things and we'll stop. 
Proverbs chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 3. These are sections of scripture you should know. You should get down in your heart. In Proverbs chapter 3, it talks about a kind of giving where we give off the first fruits of our increase. And it's a way that we honor the Lord. Uh, it's not talking about tithing. It doesn't mention tithing. But it's the first fruits where you say, okay, this, this uh, windfall has come to me. Uh, this payment has come to me. I'm going to give off the top of that. Excuse me. The first, uh, I want to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all my increase. Here's a promise. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Hallelujah. Uh, honor the Lord with your possessions. This is something that my wife and I have tried to live all these 40-some years. We have really tried to live this, uh, and we lack for nothing. And, and it says, your barns should be filled with plenty, and your vats overflowing with new wine. I don't know what all that is, but I want it. I expect it. I believe for it. Then in Malachi chapter 3, and this is very pertinent for these days, he's talking about tithing. And tithing had uh, been instigated by Abraham and then by Jacob. And then uh, God brought it about for the children of Israel as a way to provide for uh, temple worship and, and uh, the ministry. Uh, the Levites were cared for out of the tithe. And then uh, it, got, it went south. It just became a legalistic kind of thing, a joyless kind of thing, a, a routine, a ritual, and they resented it. And so eventually they stopped tithing, especially after they came out of Babylon. Then he tells them, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that it will not uh, destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall your vine fail and bear fruit in its field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be the, uh, a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. These are promises for those who give consistently. They... they, they uh, uh, honor the Lord with their first fruits. I would say most of the people in our church are tithers. They live this way. We haven't been meeting yet. The people have just continued to give. You can stand on these promises. You can take these promises before the Lord and say, Lord, I am a tither. I, I live this way. Open those heavens. Open those windows. Pour me out a blessing, Father. On my business, on my business, on my family, on my fields. I think you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm standing on this because this is the way I live. This is the way I live. This is the way I've ordered my, my affairs. That's a powerful, powerful thing to be able to do. What if this crisis goes on for months? I don't think it matters. According to these promises, you can say, Lord, I, I know there's, there's windows in, in heaven. Open them. Pour it a blessing upon me. Pour it a blessing upon my business. I believe, I believe that uh, we will not be hurt by this economic crisis. And no matter what you hear in the news, we're givers. We're givers. We, we live this way. This is our life. This is how we've chosen to live. But I want your hope uh, to not be bobbing up and down with what's going on in the stock market or CNN news. I don't want your hope to be adrift. I want your hope to have an anchor 
There's an anchor for your soul. I think the anchor for your soul are the promises of God that he's a good father. He cares for us. He knows what we need. He knows before we, we're in need. He knows. He knows the future. We can take these promises and stand on them, and I want you to do that. I want all of us to do it. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of this virus at all. I have no dread of it. I just, I just have a concern for the souls of our people, that they not be adrift, that they not be bobbing up and down with the economy of this world, but are anchored into the economy of heaven. I hope this is an encouragement to you. Uh, I don't know how many promises I just listed, but there's at least uh, 10 or 12 there that you can mine out for yourself, write them out, post them someplace where you can see them every day, put them on the dash of your truck, put them on your refrigerator. I've taped promises on the inside of the wall, my shower so I can just <laughs> get these promises in my heart, and I want that to happen for you. God bless you. I hope you come to our prayer meeting tonight at 7 o'clock on Facebook. I'd love for you to be able to get in on this. I hope this is an encouragement to you. Let me bless you. Father, thank you for everyone that's listening. Thank you for the people in Portugal who are listening, who've gone through an incredible time of uh, economic hardship in the past, just, just now recovering when this thing hits. I pray, Lord, for those who are in business in our churches there in Portugal, that they would their hearts would be sustained by these promises. I pray for the people at the well and the people up in Belleville and the people down in Baltimore and Smithville, other churches. Lord, I'm asking, Lord, and for our own people, that you'd sustain our hearts with your word. And we thank you for these promises. They're precious to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.